Hello, my name is Ben. My name's Andrew. And we are your hosts of the Too Vague Podcast this week. One word, two hosts, stories, trivia, and video games. Most of the time, unless Andrew's on. I only play one video game. Not this week. I sent you one. I played an extra video game, that's true. Yeah. I did. And so, what was that video game that I sent you? Ridiculous Fishing. Yes. What do you think of Ridiculous Fishing? We talked about it on a couple shows back, I think. I was playing the updated, fancy version. Yeah, I was like, oh, oh, you, you throw the, the lure into the ocean and you grab some fish and it comes up. And then, like uh, any real fishing trip, once the fish breach the surface, they fly up into the air and you have to shoot them with a gun. Like Pretty normal for fishing these days. Pretty normal. Think. Fishing and shooting, yeah, I think. Yeah. It would have ended the Jaws movie pretty quickly. I would say. Fishing and shooting. Yeah. You just have to have the right missile launcher on your ship or whatever. And then that's like, but not as much drama, I don't think. I mean, I think if that was movie was made today, yes, there would definitely be a miss, missile launcher on yeah. that. Did you see the Meg? I didn't see the Meg, no. I mean, it's just kind of a dumb, silly, action be shark movie. But every time a movie comes out with a shark in it, you're going to go, just just watch the original one. Because, I mean, that that kind of sums it up. I mean, yeah, you know, Jaws, it was good. A classic movie marking the start of Spielberg's star-spangled career. Yeah. Star-spangled? I don't know. Hit-spangled? Despite the fact that the, the dumb mechanical shark they made didn't work. No, but that was all, thank you, editor, for that one. Yeah, but it also like forced them to be more creative and more subtle about some of the stuff. Oh yeah, which actually made it more of a just terrifying experience when the shark did show up. Yeah, the suspense was built. And um, also, what about that Quint guy? Yeah, boy, wouldn't you like to be on a boat with him for days? Uh, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> Here's to swimming with bow-legged women. I was like, I don't understand what that even means. I was five. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's no batteries not included, but I mean, it's definitely a hit. Definitely. Yeah, it made some money. A little bit of money, yeah. And they had sequels, which weren't nearly as good. No. The show isn't about Jaws or Sharks. Our word this week is logic. Logic. Yes. From the Greek logos, which means word. Also means waffle. Also means waffle. No, it doesn't mean waffle. <laughs> really quick before we get into the word, or the setup for the word, I guess, I also played a similar game to Ridiculous Fish. And I say similar because the presentation is, it's a pixel presentation, but it is kind of ridiculous in its own way. So it's called Dave the Diver. Ooh. Dave the Diver came out in June of 2023 this year, and it's due out on the Switch in October. You're Dave, who is, I don't know, let's say he's rotund, zoftig, I don't know how you want to, uh, cherubic man. Not insignificant. He does have some mass to him. Dave the Diver is uh, called by his buddy to a place called the Blue Hole. And (laughs) 
one of the things that happens in the blue hole. This kind of reminds me of that book you read. Each day, the geography changes around the blue hole. Wild. For some reason. Don't know why, but one of the guys that you're friends with thinks that this is a wonderful business opportunity for his sushi restaurant. <laughs> it's not like a fishing over the side of a boat. It is spear fishing, hence Dave the Diver. Right. So Dave the Diver does spear fishing and he can level up his powers. I haven't gotten too far into it, but it's very silly. So it's part fishing game, part restaurant simulator game because you have to do all sorts of things with serving sushi and, and all sorts of mini games involving cleaning up dishes and things like that. Did you ever play Diner Dash? I think so. From back in the day? Yeah. Yeah, oh, where you yeah. serve the food and clean up after the people and then you've got to give the yeah. people the right orders and stuff. It's it's very similar to that, but there are a ton of different mini games in it. Escape into a world of working in the service industry. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, that and exploring a blue hole. Exploring the blue hole is, that's, yeah. yeah. So you unlock recipes, you meet new people, you start your business and open for the first day there's an earthquake which of course makes the restaurant unpresentable but i mean you know that happens right unpresentable yeah that's the, the biggest problem from an earthquake <laughs> some people would say unpresentable some people would say uh the health folks the uh, what are what are they called the people who shut you down because of health concerns fema <laughs> the health department yes the health department health codes not up to code after the what is what is this green tea that has broken glass in it that's not good to serve and the rest of the guys that you're paired up with kind of look like uh, the cast of magnum pi <laughs> sort oh, of. that's kind of fun yeah yeah you kind of have a sort of buddy kind of thing going on with all your guys like tc and higgins and yeah tc yeah that's what I'm playing. Dave the Diver. Liking it so far. Mint Rocket is the developer. Right on. I think that's as good enough of a segue into our pre-show segment. Andrew's Sensory Adventures. Oh, brought to me by the pin- Pringles you sent me in the mail, right? Yes, yes. Not yet sponsored by Pringles themselves. Are you open to other snacks? I think we should just... We shouldn't cast too wide of a net. You know? Uh. I think we stick to crisps for now. Stick to crisps for now, okay. To use the parlance of, of the UK or whatever. <laughs> whatever. The, except for, ironically, this today's crisp. Uh-huh. Uh, French fries and ketchup. Yeah. One component of the questionable Pringles that you saw at the airport, right? Oh, yeah, ketchup. Yeah, I was like, what? Actually, that one that was ketchup, I saw that one in a little uh, shop in Italy. Right. It's like a little convenience store. And I was like, oh, uh, the other Pringles flavors were like things that I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds all right. That's something. And I was like, ketchup. It doesn't seem like the right flavor for Italians either. No. You don't see them throwing a lot of ketchup on stuff. But you know, you know what you do see in a, a lot of in Italy? Tourists. That's right. Yeah. And some of them are from Australia. So maybe it's the Australians. It could be. Or maybe it's the Brits. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure which demographic is the the ketchup flavored crisp. I would think the Brits with the vinegar 
Salt and vinegar, maybe? Salt and vinegar. Yeah, that yeah. that they have salt and vinegar. Yes, that's a common crisp flavor. Yes. All right. So, yeah, I have this. So, uh, right off the bat, I would say that the can itself, virtually identical to any other can of Pringles. That <laughs> Wait until you get your gift, man. They do Pringles containers differently in Japan, but... Oh, no. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Japanese Pringles are going to show up at my house one day. Yes. <laughs> All right, so... And hilarity will ensue. So, yes, the French fries and ketchup, or as I call them in the UK, chips. They're the, the chip crisps. <laughs> With some ketchup flavoring, which... I'm like, I'm not sure. I'm not, the idea of dry ketchup is just yeah confusing to me, but you know, we'll go for it. That just seems like one of those donut hole things. Donut holes. You've got a donut hole, but you also have the hole in the donut, which is also a hole. It's a chip, but it's also a crisp, but it's also a chip. But anyway, let's start out with the, the excellent sounds. First, I'll do a little shake of the can there, then up. Pop of the lid. Okay, that the plastic lid coming off. It doesn't make a great sound, but it's the 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 Julius Pringles embossed uh, little nice paper and whatever they put on their seal. The foil Metalized top. mylar. The foil top. I held that close to the mic. That should have a good sound for you. Okay. The next, you got to go for aroma. All right. Well, it. it and it smells like, you know, like if you leave the fast food in, in your car and then you take it out to the garbage later because you already ate it on the way home. And then it just stays in there. So, but no, like you got some like, yeah, like you spilled some ketchup somewhere. Right. Yeah. Right. It kind of smells like that. So that ketchup stained seats. Yeah. It smells, it smells like, yeah. Ketchup stained automotive upholstery. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that, that's legit you know it does smell like ketchup so we'll, we'll try it you know we got the usual um and maybe i rattled the can a little bit too much the first couple of chips are are uh, a little broken up on the edges as we mentioned previously they're not the most stable snack food that's right it as is far as the just amount of weight that they hold the amount of weight yeah that's right we can't use this to, for dips or anything but yeah, the first couple are always like that, and then the, down the rest of the stack, they're nice and symmetrical and perfect. And yeah, it's all right. I'm gonna I'm gonna try this. Hmm. You sound confused. Well, I'm trying to think if the potato taste of the of the crisp uh-huh. tastes more like French fries than other. Other Pringles? Yeah, that's that was a question I was going to ask you if it actually tastes like. Yeah, I'm like, like, and I'm trying to think. I'm like, does it? Because like the ketchup flavor definitely does have a ketchup flavor. They nailed it. Uh huh. If you ever wanted to put ketchup on potato chips, maybe because ketchup on potato chips is dumb, they have to call them French fries. Well, I mean, I don't know. Some people do that. They do that. My brother said, "Oh yeah, yeah, put I'm putting ketchup on the on the Pringles." I was like, "Really?" <laughs> It's a thing that some people do. It's a I thing. Guess. All right. It's a yeah, thing. Yeah, I, I think some people just put ketchup on everything, though, right? Yeah, that's that could be, yeah. Hmm. So does it taste anything like fries? That's the question. Is oh, so it, I'm going to try one more. I'm like... Okay. Is it saltier? Yeah, that's the other thing, too. Is it like... Because fries inherently are... They put salt on them, so usually they're saltier than chips. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I'm going to say... 
I don't think they did anything to make a more French fry like. I think. Okay. Okay. Just I think like that part's a that's just fluff. It's a okay. Pringle with the ketchup flavoring. That's just there to sell them. <laughs> the fries part. I mean, it's not bad though. Okay. So so you yeah. you you like them? Yeah. Is this one? Yeah. That, I mean, in the spectrum of the chips that you've tried so far, which was the Philly cheesesteak, the pizza. <laughs> I mean, like, where does that fall above one below another? Like if you had all these Pringles flavors available to you in the store, would you buy this one? This would be upper tier, I think. Oh, I okay. think this, this is more, I actually kind of like the ketchup-y taste on it. Okay. Yeah. Like the other ones. Yeah. The suspicious stew. That was, that was an adventure. Not, not sad that that is a limited time flavor. Um, <laughs> it was it was fine though but yeah. the uh yeah what what is i gonna say but the 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 philly cheesesteak was interesting because you know when you open up the initial f- smell is kind of like the middle a cheesy fe- a cheesy feet <laughs> smell like middle school yeah 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 that's that's what but, you were telling me middle school the, 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 fl- the flavor was all right but this one like i'm like the smell is like no it smells like ketchup if it's you know yes ketchup dried out on your upholstery but but still but still you know sometimes sometimes you get dried ketchup on a finger and you gotta lick it off and it's still ketchup it's fine (laughs) sometimes sometimes we have hard times in our lives and we eat fast food right and are messy with it and then discover there's ketchup on our hand later right you know or tie or something i don't know who knows or tie yeah do you wear a tie I haven't worn a tie in a while. Yeah. yeah. There's a reason why they call it the ketchup saver. Oh boy, this let me get right on it. Maybe it does smell like ketchup that's dried out on a tie. That sounds <laughs> <That's> a... <laughs> <laughs> They should put that in the ad campaign. <laughs> yeah. Pringles that smell <laughs> Eliminate the French fry part and just put the ketchup dried on a tie flavored. Ketchup on a dried on a tie flavored Pringles. I think that'll Once work. Once you pop, you can't stop. <laughs> <laughs> Pringles needs to hire us for their ideas. They do. They need to give us that sweet, sweet um, TikTok influencer money. I was like, we can make TikToks. I'm still confused about the TikTok thing, but I can't figure it out. Yeah. Every yeah. once in a while, I'll I'll think of, oh, this is something stupid. And I'll make a little video and I'll put it there and, you know, that's fine. I'm not really trying to, I don't know. TikTok wants me to open a TikTok store to sell my merch. Oh, really? Yeah. That's their new thing. Interesting. It's interesting, but I'm like, well, I'm still thinking about it. Well, we can, we can talk about that on the next episode. Yeah. If I get my TikTok store up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sell my merch. <laughs> so this week's Pringles flavored. French fries and ketchup, light on the French fries, but definitely tastes like ketchup, and it's good. Yeah, it's it's good. I would, yeah, just, but I would say it's not. It doesn't have the saltiness that. Yeah. Yeah, I would expect from fries, right? From yeah. fries, it's. Yeah. They're probably I, trying to be healthy. I don't know. It's probably one of those recognition things. People go, "Oh, French fries and, and ketchup." Yeah, that makes sense. Whereas it's just if it's like ketchup, it's like, I don't want to eat ketchup straight out of the packet. Right. I think that's it. They, they're appealing to our sensibilities. Exactly. Yeah. Excellent. Sensory adventure. Closed. I should have some sort of a stamp. Yeah. You know, or something <laughs> like that. 
Yeah, get some sound effects downloaded, yeah. Maybe even a theme song for Andrew's Sensory Adventures. I don't know, we'll see. Oh, yeah. Let's do this. I have the Wikipedia page of Spock open right in front of me. Oh, Spock. <laughs> do you want to do the definition of logic, or should I do the definition of logic? Oh, I was, I was going to let you do the honors. I don't have a definition queued up here. Okay, I'm going to do something a little different. Instead of Oxford, I am going to look at the Merriam-Webster page. Mm. And not only that, but I found that this word has what they call a kid's definition. Oh, a kid's definition. Yeah, they have a kid's definition section. This makes it nice and short and sweet and very easy to understand. So I'm just going to use the kid's definition. Yeah. It cuts the fat. It's like right down to like, here is what it is. None of this stuff where it's like, saying things that, you know, are so obscure and and whatnot, right? Here is the definition of logic. The study of rules and tests of sound reasoning. Okay. Reasoning, especially sound reasoning, connection of facts or events in a way that seems reasonable, the logic of a situation, Mm -hmm. an arrangement of circuit elements in a computer needed for computation, maybe programming or something like that. Right, right. Programming as a, yeah, a very, very logical function, yeah. And now the etymology, the adult etymology. The adult, <laughs> have, give me the adult you, etymology. Yeah, yeah. They, did, they didn't have a kid's etymology section, so. Middle English, logic, L-O-G-I-K, from Anglo-French, from Latin, logica, from Greek, logique, from feminine of logikos, of reasons, and from logos, reason. First known use of logic is the 12th century, a science that deals with the principles and criteria of validity, inference, and demonstration the science of formal principles of reasoning. They've got some other interesting things here. They talk about syntactics and stuff, but let's just keep the definition of the kid's definition and we'll just go from there. Anything to add to that? What I have to add is that, yes, logos is more nuanced than just reason. It also could mean just word or discourse. Okay. So like a dialogue is uh, words between two people, you know, things like that. So, yeah, logic is very based on words. Mm-hmm. In, in some ways, there's also mathematical logic and there's ideas of like a system of reasoning. And that's like this sort of uh, idea that if we can put mathematical rules onto language, onto our words, then we can come up with a very precise way to talk about things and a very precise way to think things through that's logical yeah, and not prone to error. Which is interesting because when sometimes when people call things logic, it's prone to error. And that's due to too many variables. There's also the fact that human nature is actually not logical. You have to learn how to think logically. Right. But in most parts of life, humans kind of operate with heuristics. So yeah, psychological heuristics, which are like kind of like shortcuts to making decisions. You know, usually these are like big generalizations yes. that easily fall into the similar, like an overlap with this um, 
concept called the logical fallacy. I'm going to talk about that when I talk about what I think about. Yeah. So, yeah. So, okay. Like, I, I'm i the one that threw this word at you. So, I'm like, yes, I like logic. And um, part of it's because of Spock. <laughs> okay. Clearly. Because, <laughs> you know, while I might have said I didn't want to give Disney money, I've been paying Paramount all this time so I could watch uh, the new Star Trek shows. Yeah. And I'm not even sure if I like them better than the Star Wars shows, but... They are pretty good from what I've seen. I mean, I haven't, I let my, my subscription lapse on the Paramount, but I mean, from what I remember of, well, the new one, the, the strange new worlds one. Strange new worlds is fun. I like that one. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. Lower decks. I also like fun. Yeah. Lower decks fun. Disco a little kind of full of itself, but so Spock, your association with logic and Spock occurred when in your childhood yeah in my childhood it was around in the form of reruns and movies that would come out every few years that were um alternatingly cool or disappointing the motion pictures star trek the motion picture right that was disappointing it was uh it was not star wars that's for sure <laughs> yeah star was... trek 2 the wrath of khan they really jazzed it up and then star trek 3 was yeah Four was the one with the whales, yeah? Four was the one with the whales. Everybody loved that one. That was fun. But, you know, yeah, so I guess, like, Spock would be the one talking about how things were logical, and, yeah. You know how emotional humans are. Right. Apparently Vulcans are uh, actually way worse with their emotions. Yeah. And as a matter of species survival, they learned how to bottle up all their emotions in this rigorous uh, application of logic. Is it bottle up? Because I thought that they had methods by which they would manage these things. Meditation. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They do a lot of meditation. They suppress their sense of smell when they're around humans. I suppose that helps them keep their emotions in check. (laughs) (laughs) They don't like the way humans smell. Yeah, I think it's a lot of mental rigor. And then every seven years, you know, they hit that pond far and then they just got to let it all out. They're going to. Well, yeah, it's mating season. For all the people who don't want know what Pond Far is. Google it. Google it. <laughs> Google it. Google Pond Far fanfic. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Google Pond Far cosplay. Cosplay. Oh, jeez. <laughs> don't do it at work, though. <laughs> Pond Far deviant art. Don't look at that. Or maybe do. Maybe, hmm. or do. I, I don't know. If you're into that sort of thing. I, you know, maybe maybe it, it would be more logical to pursue a different line of argument here. <laughs> yeah, so once, once every seven years, uh, the Vulcan uh, biology takes over. And, and they have to. Gotta mate or kill. Mate or kill. They're probably going to cover that on A Strange New World at some point, yeah. Um, yeah... Maybe they already have. Uh, have they? Well, Spock's been having relationship problems. Yeah. They sort of set the stage for the tension that shows up later. Right. I think I stopped watching when it was like there was sexual tension between him and the nurse. And then yeah, and then his designated wife or whatever, they just kind of... He was still trying to make connections in the first, first, or first season. There's only two seasons, yeah. yeah? There's only two seasons, yeah. yeah. Spoiler alert. Spock and uh, T'Pring, yeah, they don't stay together. No? 
But if you uh, review the original series, you know that they actually weren't together when Spock's Ponfar kicked in. So it makes sense. And she wanted to marry someone else, and that was... Uh, yeah. These new episodes based on old episodes, I mean, I don't think that they're trying to necessarily stay with the continuity of the previous, right? I mean, that's, no, that, that's kind of where series go wrong, I think. it's You want to kind of see new adventures, and if this is in a different timeline, so be it. I mean, you know. That's true. There's that. I mean, there's there's all kinds of reasons why it should be in a different t- timeline, but right. Um, one, one of them is Khan Noonien Singh. Oh yeah, those eugenics wars were supposed to happen in the 1990s, and I missed it. Do you <laughs> do you remember when when the, the the genetically augmented humans tried to take over the world in the 1990s? No, I didn't. And then. Then, then they escaped on a colony ship off into space. To, they keep having to shove the cons, the eugenics war, further into the future because it was um, the future keeps happening. Right. We haven't had a eugenics war. Not yet. Who knows? Maybe around the next election. You did have a connection with Logic and Spock. And Logic and Spock, I think I just kind of liked Spock. I can identify with him myself but i think as someone who is autistic certain people with autism would definitely connect to that because wouldn't you say vulcans could be considered there yes that's definitely that i'm not offending anyone by saying that that is kind of the vulcans do strike me as a people that are autistic like a whole society by human standards, or is that wrong? Well, I would I would call that a glittering generalization, which is a logical fallacy, right? <laughs> <laughs> because there's lots of different kinds of autistic people. Yes, yes, exactly. Only only some of them are like Vulcans. I'm being very general. It's a generalization. It's what, yeah. But you're not wrong in the sense that there are lots of people in the autism spectrum who. Um, can get very literal and very confused by, you know, most other people's uh, way of using language that isn't logical in the way that there's so many things that are freighted with nuance. Nuance. Yeah, that's the word nuance. Uh, Yeah. So, yeah, lots of uh, interactions can get confusing. And so, yes, there's definitely a, a bunch of people who are like, would see... Spock's confusion at how humans act around him in their illogical ways and be like, yeah, I identify with that guy because all these people around me are not necessarily saying the thing that they mean. And then they're getting upset when I don't do the thing that they want, but they never expressly told me. They kind of alluded or whatever, right? Yeah. And like, if we want to stay on Star Trek, you know, I would say data in the next generation kind of. A similar but a slightly different like autistic coded uh individual because like he was always trying to figure out how emotions worked right right exactly and so so that is like another thing is like well why is it that the people around me are feeling this when they do that which is also um you know some people you know with autism are are like why are they doing it that way i would like to know that is there a way i can figure out how to do that better yeah. There's some of that. But also, like, robots are cool. Yeah, robots, so, 
Robots are cool. Robots are cool. I mean, that's it's my whatever my alter ego, my my handle, partly robot. It's it's kind of like that pseudonym, if you will. My pseudonym, my yeah. AKA, partly robot. Yeah, it's it's like yeah, I'm 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 not saying I'm all robot, but I've got robot tendencies. I tend to like look at certain things and like I, I'm with age and experience, it's gotten a lot easier, but definitely there are times in my life where looking, you know, as an autistic person, as an undiagnosed autistic person, wondering why the hell the people around me just weren't more logical about why they did stuff or how they did stuff or talked with the data thing. They had the emotion chip, which I thought was just dumb. Um, yeah, that was dumb. Yeah, it was dumb. Uh, that is a new Pringles flavor that's coming out. The emotion chip? The emotion chips, yeah. <laughs> aren't, aren't all chips emotion chips? Sponsored by Star Trek The Next Generation, yeah. <laughs> you know, that would have been beautiful back in the day of the... Anyway. Emotion chips, yeah. We need to build our time machine and... <laughs> Go back and yeah, make our money. Go back to 1989 and... Or whatever that was and... Tell Pringles, emotion chips, guys, emotion chips. <laughs> It'll be a Star Trek tie-in. Trust me, this show's going to be big. It's going to be medium for a long, long time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's what you think of. That's your first association is Spock and Vulcans. I mean, I, there was something, yeah, the logical, but you know what? Also, I saw Carl Sagan's Cosmos as a young child. Oh, yeah. And when, you know, Carl Sagan's very Spock-like. His manner of presentation. His mannerisms and his persona and the way he would enunciate things and the turtlenecks and the... Yeah, he was probably autistic too, but (laughs) I shouldn't diagnose people. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, if you're telling me that I shouldn't generalize, I think that's... that's No, I'm not saying you shouldn't generalize. I'm just saying that you did, but... (laughs) Okay, sorry. <laughs> Go ahead and generalize to your heart's content. I just no, just, no. I, I wanted to be like I wanted to be. Just realize you're doing it. I'm yes anding. That's what I'm trying to do. Yes and right, but yes, Spock and Data, um, because there's a lot of um, there's a lot of territory to go out there. But yes, there's definitely that certain sort of Aspergian type that is very Spock-like, very Vulcan in their yeah. thinking. So anyway, yes, logical fallacies are... Yeah, let me... Did you want, you want to say something about those? Yeah. What I'm going to mention, I sent you this video of the, the Norm MacDonald Professor of Logic joke that he the did. Professor of Logic joke. <laughs> yeah, that he did on Late Night with Conan O'Brien in 1996 which is an illustration of a logical fallacy. Yeah, false syllogism. The whole joke and punchline is, if you liked Norm MacDonald's brand of humor, smart and off-color at the same time, right? I mean, you just had a really interesting way of thinking about humor. And let me just say, this joke is taken from another... It's not plagiarized or anything. It's He takes a different slant on this, but this joke does rely on the whole logical fallacy thing. Yeah, the logical fallacies like come out where you like you start off with a situation that it's following the framework of logic, but then you miss a step. Yeah. Let me just say the joke really quick. And that is just the other week. Well, you know what? Should I try and be Norm McDonald or should I just read it like normally? 
I think I'll just read it normally. Just the other week, I had someone move in next to me. I, being a good neighbor, uh, came over to greet them and knocked on the door and said, hello, neighbor, just dropping by to say hi. Uh, so what do you do for a living? Which is completely normal when you <laughs> I just knock on strangers' doors and ask them what they do for a living. Yeah. He says, oh, nice to meet you. I'm a professor of logic downtown at the University of Science. <laughs> <laughs> totally not made up. No. <laughs> I say, logic? What the hell is that? And he says, uh, you know, it's a series of uh, inference syllogism. You know, let me just give you an example. Do you own a doghouse? I do. Okay, so by that, I can assume that you have a dog, meaning you probably have a family. Yep. So you probably have a wife and kids. Exactly. If you have a wife and kids, I would deduce that you are a straight heterosexual male. Yep, that's correct. And he finishes by saying, see, that's logic. Just from knowing that you have a doghouse, I was able to figure out that you were a straight white male. And I say, well, damn, isn't that something? Well, I got to go catch the bus now. So I'll talk to you later. <laughs> Get to the bus stop. And a guy lights up a cigarette at the bus stop. You know, once you light a cigarette, the bus comes. And he smokes the whole damn cigarette, but the bus doesn't come. So I was like, well, that theory really didn't work, did it? So well, it works every once in a while. He's like, what's new with you? And I say, oh, I just met my, uh, my new neighbor. And I learned he was a professor of logic. He says, logic? What the hell is that? And he says, well... Knowing what I know now, I say it's a, it's a series. Of, well, let me just give you an example. Do you own a doghouse? And he says, no, I don't own a doghouse. So you're one of them gays. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I don't mean to offend, but that is his joke. So I think it's very funny. One of those things where you're going one direction and then he takes a left turn, but it is an illustration of uh, logical fallacy, which is denying the antecedent. Denying the antecedent. Yes. There you go. Which, in my mind, boils down to misinterpreting something as a Boolean when it really isn't. Yeah. You're making the assumption that there are two sides to a coin, but there aren't. A lot of times people will mistake an answer as a true or false when it really isn't. Or has more mm -hmm. more variables, more possible outcomes or possible reasons yeah. or, or whatever. So that's the logical fallacy that is the reason that joke is funny. Yeah, jokes are funny because they turn things upside down. And, yeah. And yeah, the, the, especially <laughs> the, that joke illustrates that... Uh, the storyteller in that joke did not actually understand how logic worked. No, no, <laughs> did not understand what he said. But how do you? How are you going to get that out of a two-minute conversation anyway? But denying the antecedent—that's a good one. I thought that joke was funny prior, but I didn't realize until I did a little bit of research independently of that 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 is exactly what it is. It is yeah a logical fallacy that that's what makes the joke funny. I think some comedians may think about it to that level. Others may not. Like Seinfeld is one of these guys that just says, it's just funny. If it's funny, say it kind of things. 
But Norm MacDonald, as a comedian, seems to approach it a little bit differently and construct a joke in such a way by thinking of all the different parts of it and how they work. Yeah. You know, that goes back to the the fact that despite the the efforts of, of logical thinking to make language more mathematical and like, oh, this always equals that, and there's the causal relations, and we can build this series of arguments that is airtight. The truth is language is not mathematically frozen. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's easy to uh yes. Create these language constructions that on the surface totally hold up. They have the illusion of having that logical order and then you go, oh no, wait, it doesn't. Like a single sentence can have multiple meanings based on how you phrase things, how you pause, how you speak, how how you say it. Yeah. And, and when you write that sentence, if there are multiple meanings, that's not very mathematical because you've got variable that you don't know what it is. And there's like all kinds of like, all kinds of logical fallacies. Like, and a lot of these get used in political discourse. Okay. On purpose. Just watch Fox News. It's all logical fallacies. You said political, and so I said like, oh yeah. Oh yeah, like the the slippery slope fallacy. Yeah. That's a big one. Like, this is like, oh, if we, you know, ban all Hummers because they're bad for the environment, eventually the government will ban all cars, so we should not ban Hummers. This is an old example because they didn't make Hummers for a while. And now they do again, and they're electric vehicles, so... Well, I also think guns are another one of those slippery slope sort of things. The gun argument is always a slippery slope. Yeah, if we outlaw firearms, then the only people with firearms will be outlaws. And it's like, well, actually not that simple. Right. (laughs) Is the slippery slope also part uh, oversimplification? Yeah, it it is an oversimplification. It's an oversimplification that that is like predicting a trend that might not necessarily a real trend, but you're like, oh my gosh, if we do this, then you're like, if we let the kids out of the house without socks on, we might just give up on clothes altogether. Yeah. You know. <laughs> a bunch of new kids <laughs> running around. Who like, wants that? Where does it end? Where does it end? <laughs> it's like, well, you know, it's not like everything is this gradual slope from here to there, there or something. Right. Right. Nice hard boundary somewhere. How much of that is taking this logic or this logical fallacy and bending it to what you want to? I mean, there there is yeah. sort of a logic to using a logical fallacy, which is yeah, kind of no, it, mind it blowing, is, it, right? It's it is definitely used to appeal to people's emotions, right? In a logical yeah. way. <laughs> yeah, they 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 dress it up as logic. Right. But they're really appealing to emotions. Yeah. Very interesting. I don't like talking politics in general on the show, but it's a good illustration. Politics is full of excellent real life illustrations. Yeah. And that is what real is life one illustrations. Yeah. I would say, and I would say on the no side of the political bandwidth, you know, I mentioned the one the one news outlet, but But it's all I mean, yeah, it it, it is you you are trying to gain popularity in such a way as to become someone in power so of course there is a certain level you want to kind of tread that line carefully 
But at the same time, there's, there is a certain degree of that kind of logical fallacy sort of work that's going to go on in any political campaign, regardless of your affiliation. Because they know they need, uh, they need to win hearts and minds. Yeah. So. And money. <laughs> and money. Mostly they money. money. One of my favorite logical fallacies is the ad hominem fallacy. Yeah. Or also like arguing against the person. Right. Okay. So it's like attacking the character of the person rather than their opinions or arguments. Mm-hmm. So like the, the example on the, uh, the online writing lab at Purdue or the owl at Purdue, their example is Greenpeace's strategies aren't effective because they're all dirty, lazy hippies. Okay. They're attacking Greenpeace people for being dirty, lazy hippies. They're saying the strategies aren't good because they don't like hippies. So that's not really looking at what the strategies are or right why they aren't effective they're just saying yeah and that that's called the ad hominem ad hominem that's latin for like to the person okay or man you know whatever to the man man i don't know right i'm not sure which language was more sexist latin or english but i think hominem meant person yeah in latin let's just say let's just say person let's just say person because I've already insulted the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah, we're ins- you've insulted the Vulcans. I insulted the Vulcans. <laughs> the I Vulcans insulted the, the genetic augments. Androids and the, the androids. Let's just throw the Andorians in there now. Um <laughs> I insulted the Chaos Gremlins. The Chaos oh, Chaos Gremlins. <laughs> I don't know. At least we didn't insult the Pringles people. Are there more types of logical fallacies or more illustrations? Oh, there's so many. There's the bandwagon appeal. Uh Uh-huh. Everybody's doing this, so this is the right thing to do. You know, it's not logical. It's just following the crowd. There's the red herring. Right. Which is basically like, oh, this is, you know, focusing on a detail that avoids the key issue. Mm -hmm. So there's also one of my favorite fallacies is called the no true Scotsman fallacy. (laughs) <laughs> the no true scotsman okay it's like no true scotsman would wear their kilt like that you know or something you know i am intrigued it's really basically yeah I, i'm not sure where that first got named but and why it's hung on to the no true scotsman but it's basically the idea of oh there is this real way that you're supposed to be like this and if you do anything that so-and-so doesn't fit the mold of the true Scotsman, so we shouldn't, you know, okay. we're not going to elect him. So it's like any deviation from a... From whatever whoever's arguing thinks is the... The, the, the definition perfect of. Perfect form. Yeah. Yeah, the definition of, so... Did you have any others? A lot of them. Pick the ones that sound the funniest. The funniest, so, okay. Uh, like the left-handed wig setter. There you go. Here's the fallacy of exclusive premises, but it's a categorical syllogism that is invalid because both of its premises are negative. Where's one called Kafka trapping? Oh, that sounds interesting. <laughs> Sophistical rhetorical device in which any denial by an accused person serves as evidence of guilt. <laughs> mm. Like, you know, Kafka's a trial. You, yeah, that's a little Kafka too close trapping. to home right now, I think. Oh yeah, kettle logic. That's funny. It's uh using multiple or jointly inconsistent arguments to defend a position. And like this comes from an example where somebody was accused of stealing a kettle, so their answers were like, 
I didn't steal it. He lent it to me. Well, I didn't know he wasn't using it. And who knew that was his kettle in the first place? You know, it's like three different things that are like, that's, that was, that was like, uh, I think Freud was the one who came up with kettle logic. That's an interesting one. I like that one. Yeah. So just like somebody just throw on three different things out that don't really even go together. Just trying to, I wonder if anybody would do that like in public office, just sort of like they say, oh, you did this thing. They say, no, I, and they say three different things that aren't related. And then somehow everything moves on. So would you classify all these logical fallacies as illogical? Because I think illogic is a weird sounding thing to me. It's bad logic. I mean, is that, it sounds like all of these things that are logical fallacies are illogical. Yeah, all the things that are logical fallacies are illogical. But, you know, if you're looking at logic as like, logical as like somebody's trying to give reasons for stuff. And so, mm-hmm. like, the, the main I, way I learned about these was in trying to teach persuasive essays. Oh, okay. And trying to, like, you guys, you gotta avoid these logical fallacies. If you, you gotta have your meaning, you know, your reasons be based in something real and make sense. Mm-hmm. And then I looked into them and I was like, well... Well, unless you want to write propaganda, then totally use these logical fallacies. <laughs> like we said earlier, we don't want to take sides as far as political sort of things. Yeah. But it is something that is used to convey your point. Whether or not yeah. it's logic or logical, especially in something like a debate, winning the debate, it is convincing others of, so you can use these to your advantage. And part of that is just the way humans work is, you know, we've got cognitive biases. We've got use heuristics to make decisions Mm -hmm. like, you know, we got the confirmation bias. It's really easy to use a logical fallacy to leverage a confirmation bias. Oh, yeah. Actually, there's there's a cognitive bias called the bandwagon effect, which totally goes hand in hand with the old bandwagon fallacy. Like, so people just will follow the crowd. The behavior is that people will go along with what the crowd's doing. Right. And the fallacy is presenting your argument as this is what everyone else is doing. So. Right. Like logic is sort of, you know, properly applied logic is separate from behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, it's also like rioting. What's what the word I'm looking for? It's like you're in a crowd and the whole crowd is doing it. So you're going to do it too. behavior. Right. Everyone is going to jump on the bandwagon and everyone's doing it. So therefore, I mean, there is an emotional component to it, but that's mob mentality, mob mentality. Boom. That's it. You got it. Well, after the fact, right? It's like, well, everyone else was doing it. That is the bandwagon effect or the bandwagon fallacy is that, well, everyone else is breaking these windows. So that makes it okay for me to break windows, right? No, it doesn't. No, but they were doing it. It's terrible. Breaking windows. Let's see. Oh, moving the goalposts. Yay. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's like raising the bar. Yeah. Cherry picking. Oh, when you're cherry picking certain um, facts and not really saying the whole truth, that's selective. It's like, yeah, selective stuff. It's, it's a lot of these things you can be like, they, they like to come up with names for logical fallacies when they're. And like, you're like, well, didn't, isn't this really the same thing? It's all not the truth. <laughs> yeah. I mean, There's really. The gambler's fallacy. Yeah. 
You got no one to hold them. No one to run. Better count. It's the money. incorrect belief that separate, independent events can affect the likelihood of another random event. Yes. So it's basically like, like the number of, however the coin toss the last ten times has nothing to do with how the coin toss is going to go the next time. Right. Yeah. Like when people play lottery numbers and they are looking at statistics and they go, well, this number hasn't been played in, or this hasn't won in X amount of time. So therefore it's going to come eventually. And it's like, uh... that's part of a category called statistical fallacies. There's like a million of them. Wikipedia has got a million of them. We can move on. One thing I wanted to talk about that's sort of like along the lines of the logical fallacy stuff, as far as true or false, is Boolean data types and programming. Boolean data types. Yeah. You're familiar with Booleans, right? It's like the little cubes that you put in to make this. No, no, no. That's, that's, it's not Boolean <laughs> data types. It's Boolean. Boolean um, logic. Exactly. Yeah. The term means uh, the result can only have one of two possible values, two, true or false. So, yeah. And that, that works with computers because a switch can either be on or off. Yep. That's another thing that I think of when I think of logic. You have your Boolean data type, and but then also you have things like this or that, this and that, yeah. this not that. All of these different things that you use, but it all gets to whether or not it's true or false when you're programming something. So that, that's something that I think of when I think of logic is programming languages some sort of mechanism of those programming languages they all have this thing where it's like there's true or false sort of situations yeah especially when you're doing like some sort of pulling data from a database it's like you want these things to qualify is it true or is it false if true then this so oh boolean logic yeah I, i just made a connection Oh yeah, what is it? Okay, so you know, on, on uh, sometimes on on certain like surveys or sort of diagnostic tests or whatever, you know, you've got a mostly true, partly true, partly false, mostly right. you, you know, or like uh, applies to me, sort of apply, you know, the, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um. Or you know, all the time, sometimes. So on this one, um diagnostic tool called the autism quotient mm-hmm. which is i want to say it's about 50 items in it the answer to every question can be a strongly positive a mild positive mild negative and a strong negative for each answer there's no middle like that's not there's no middle there's no middle yeah but also in the answers when it's being scored the strong and milds carry no weight okay so you know like a the mildly disagree or strongly disagree is going to just be disagree when you score it. So it's the same number of points either way. Oh, okay. Which I figured out when I looked at the, the answer key or no, the scoring guy. And I was like, Oh, that's how that works. It's interesting because it's sort of like, do you know the reason why they score it that way? Or I think the reason why is that all the questions are really just either or questions, but people might, not answer something if they don't feel strongly in it you know they so i think the 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 milder ones were to give the opportunity to answer more truthfully even if they didn't feel strong i gotcha it's just interesting yeah 
statistically it's valid like it's been tested and it's valid but then i look at it like oh this is how these tools work every one of these questions actually operated on boolean logic because there's like either or right it's like true or false no gradation it gives the illusion of that but it's not yeah so i don't i don't know if i have a deeper uh, meaning i figured out from that but i just was like whoa that reminds me of there are these types of tests if you go to a psychiatrist and you're feeling depressed they have a little depression sort of quiz that you take, right? Oh, yeah. But they show you the numbers, how to score it. They tell you how to score it instead of just saying, hey, take this and have someone else score it. That's not Boolean. That is different. Okay, well, you know what? Uh, let's let's move on to video games unless you have let's some Let's move on to video games. Them. Yeah. No, no, I think I've talked about a lot of stuff. Interesting stuff, I think. Philosophical, even. Philosophical, that's right. Let me ask you a question about video games. Okay. Is there a game that pops into your head when I say it's a video game that involves logic? A video game that involves logic. It's not ridiculous fishing, that's for sure. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, chess? That's not... Well, there's video games of chess, but... Yeah. I would say that's, that's one of them. Turn-based strategy games have a lot of logic going on in them. Which is a variant of chess, I would say, yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if this is incorrect or just uh, based on me personally. It's puzzles. Puzzles. For some reason, just puzzle games. So like your Tetris or any variety of Tetris or your match three games like Bejeweled or anything like that. Yeah. I think that is a common thread that people make is they draw, like when you're thinking of logic, the word, they automatically go to puzzle games yeah for you turn-based strategy that then no that's logic and so i stand corrected because i mean that is definitely when you're talking about tactics and yeah strategy yeah i'm like trying to think of any other like games is one of them uh airplane mode airplane mode airplane mode (laughs) no (laughs) airplane mode can you fly klm on airplane mode. Because <laughs> I say their, their flight attendants were quite pleasant. Oh, well, that's good. <laughs> is it a simulation game or is it a simulation? And that's one of those things. There are certain things that are simulation games, but you have certain controls over whatever the thing is. Yeah. But anyway, turn-based strategy, I think, is an excellent logic. I know there's games, like, you like to play a lot of games with story elements, and I'm sure... Those involve like logic puzzles. Oh yeah, point and click adventures, like those types. Yeah, of Yeah, like right? you got to do this thing before you can do that thing, and this certain moves depend on other moves having been made earlier. And uh, yeah, yeah. The point I was going to make is pretty much every video game or every game, video or otherwise, there are logical elements to it. Yeah, I, I would say unless it's entirely a game of chance or know? the card game flux. The card game Flux, what is that? Um, it's one of these cool little card games where the rules change all the time over the course of the game. I mean, it has its own logic, but it's a very complicated logic. So. Right. So you can't count on anything in that game because anybody at any point can play a card that changes the the rules of the gameplay. It's pretty fun. But there's but, still yeah. logic involved. Right? Yeah, there is, because you're playing the cards, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, there's improvisation and strategy. That's true. Actually, most games really, they depend on logic. Otherwise, it's just a craft. You're just doing Play-Doh. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's just, 
Play. Not the philosopher. Not the philosopher. No. Plato. Yeah. Plato. Da. Plato. Plato. Kinetic sand. You're doing kinetic sand. Yeah. I don't know. The crazy kids today with their kinetic sand, I tell you. It's crazy. I don't know. There's got to be something in there that's bad for you. It's all purple. Yeah. And it sticks together till it falls apart. Yeah. Explain what the kinetic sand is because there was like a big, wasn't it just a, a trend in school and kids like being into this kinetic sand? Like what is it specifically? Um, It's like sand, but... There's something in it, like some kind of polymer or something, uh-huh. so that you can compress it like sand, you can make it into a shape like sand, but it'll like slowly fall apart, and you can like watch it kind of crumble. It's okay. It's a whole sensory experience. Is it? But Okay. But I don't know what they add to it to make it do that, and it just reminds me of the Happy Fun Ball commercial from Saturday Night Live. The what? Happy Fun Ball. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember you that. Google the, uh, you don't remember Happy Fun Ball? It was, uh, I feel like it was one of those uh, Phil Hartman narrated ones. <laughs> but it's like, a, you know, a commercial for this new amazing toy, Happy Fun Ball. It does this and does this. And, and then like they had the big legal disclaimer about it. Like, do not taunt Happy Fun Ball. <laughs> Happy Fun Ball sticks to certain kinds of skin. Happy Fun Ball is made out of a mysterious substance we found in a meteorite. We don't know what Happy Fun Ball will do if you put it in a microwave, you know. Oh, yeah. Here we go. I see it. Okay. Yeah. I didn't make it up. So I'm like, so kinetic sand makes me, it gives me Happy Fun Ball vibes. I'm like, what is this? Right. What exactly is this? Yeah. I mean, that's the first thing that I thought of when I heard of kinetic sand was that type of sand that you could, you put it in water. Mm-hmm. And then when you scooped it out of the water, it was dry sand again. Oh, that's, yeah. That's not kinetic sand. But I mean, it's, it's, there's like, it's got some sort of polymer cover that if you put it in water, you make these like weird looking sand castles and stuff with it. But then when you scoop it out, it's all sand again. So it repels the water. It's completely hydrophobic. Yeah. Happy fun ball. Hmm. Happy Fun Ball. <laughs> Do not taunt. Do not taunt Happy Fun Ball. <laughs> That's my favorite. That's my favorite yeah. one. It's kind of like uh, on medications too. It's like that. Yeah, it's of... like the medication ads. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so do you think of any other games specifically or no? Oh, there's like tower defense games. Oh yeah, tower defense games. I mean, I could name a specific one, but I'm like, yeah, they're all the same. Yeah, you know the whatever one you enjoy i mean i would no i mean yeah like i could say that's right i could say specific ones but you know what i mean anything that has a relationship with a cause and an effect you know you you Mm -hmm. still have to you got to figure out how to use that it's not just it's if you do one thing this other thing will happen and how do i use that or how does that change going forward it's a very puzzling to kind of go down that road, I talked about the point-and-click adventure games, but there is a game that I talked about on my Penny Arcade Expo Day 2 show called Animal mm. Well. Animal Well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You, sh- you showed me the video on that. What did you think of it? It looks pretty cool. Yeah? Yeah. 
I, I liked the 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 design aesthetic was kind of retro, but also what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? Retro futuristic. Retro futuristic. <laughs> I, I was know. like, yeah, it it does. Uh, that's the thing that I I enjoyed about it. Seeing it at PAX was the fact that it takes advantage of some of the particle physics things that your high end systems do. The lighting stuff. It's a very interesting contrast that occurs between those pixels and these higher end effects. Like there, yeah. there's a part where you have, I think it's like fireworks or something that you, you light and then you toss it and the smoke coming off of the, the explosions of those things are very realistic. Almost like if you blow out a candle and you see the smoke wafting, it's like that there's, there's this really interesting contrast that occurs that kind of pulls you in. Just like the Barbie movie. Uh, does it? <laughs> the Barbie movie pulls you in, man. Does it? Through that same kind of contrast. What? Yeah. Oh, did you? It's uh, a good, so you saw it's a good movie. movie. Is it? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was there. I was like, Greta Gerwig's directing a movie starring Margot Robbie. I'm going to watch this. Oh, it's Barbie. I'm going to watch it. Okay. But yeah. No, it, it was fun. It was good. It was, I liked it. Did you like it more or less than Oppenheimer? I liked it more than Oppenheimer. Oh, okay. But you know, I've I've got a long-standing feud with Christopher Nolan. Yeah, I, we talked about that. I think on a previous show. I mean, I could go on it again, but yeah, but no. <laughs> <laughs> dreams just don't work like that. He just yeah, he just got three a- dreams deep. That's dumb. Yeah, I don't know. Did you see Tenant yet or no? No, you still haven't seen Tenant. Swallow some of your pride, just a little. Just a little. Okay. And watch Tenet and let me know what you think because I think you might enjoy it. But it is, it does have that sort of pretentious Christopher Nolan-ish kind of thing. Is it three hours long? Uh, It's pretty long. Yeah. I used to have a rule where I never watched a three-hour movie and uh, somewhere, I mean, it's like now I don't, I mean, I won't go to the movie theater to see a three-hour movie, but I'll watch it at home. Yeah. <laughs> Tenet is... Two and a half hours, so two hours, 30 minutes. Two and a half hours, okay. Yeah. yeah. So he's meeting you halfway there. <laughs> meeting me halfway, all right. I think. Yeah, okay. It, so anyway, back to Billy. Billy Basso is the guy who designed it, mm-hmm. and he took some inspiration from this game called Fez, which was by a gentleman named Phil Fish, who is a independent game designer. One of the designers... Have you heard of any of these games? Braid? Have you heard of Fez? Have you heard of no. Super Meat Boy? Super Meat Boy? No, I haven't heard of that. Because <laughs> those are all independent games. All of these games were featured in a movie called Indie Game the Movie. Are you familiar with it at all or no? I believe it exists, but yeah. It's a documentary film. Filmmakers James Swirsky and Lizanne Peugeot, I think that's how you say that. It's a film about independent game makers back in those days, in 2012, and how they showed off their product and basically the development cycle for them and the type of emotion and expression and, you know, kind of gave it sort of more, it's more than just a game. It's showing you how each one of these very different game designers design what they put into it and so on and so forth i definitely recommend that you see it 
because do you like documentaries? Some people don't like documentaries. I like documentaries. Yeah. It's a very interesting look. It's a, it's kind of a time machine as like what was done back many, many years ago, how independent game developing has changed dramatically. I mean, now there are so many avenues to get discovered, but the problem is there's so many avenues to get discovered, right? It's, yeah. There's more competition out there than just being able to design a game, take it to a show, and sell the game to. Although, I must say, the way that they presented these things, especially Phil Fish's presentation of his game to people and how he was anxious about it and how he was worried it was going to crash or, or, you know, things were that he was really passionate about his game. It's really interesting how those things, some of the things, didn't change and others did. I saw so many amazing independent game developers at PAX that my eyes are open to how interesting and unique and how people can, there's a lot of logic involved and a lot of programming and stuff that I don't understand. Yeah. It's very interesting how you can express yourself with this logic. Yeah. I mentioned Billy because when I think of this movie and Fez, he told me when I asked him what his inspirations were, he started out as a film major. And then he kind of was like, well, I'm not into it. Like all these other people I see who are really into filmmaking. So maybe there's something I haven't quite figured out what it is. And then he said he saw Indie Game, the movie, and that kind of inspired him, specifically the game Fez, to get into computer programming and to eventually make his own game. But it's kind of an interesting thing about if you have something to say, there is, you're using logic to express yourself, which seems kind of counter, doesn't it? You're expressing your emotions with logic. I mean, I don't know. What do you, what do you think of that? You know, what it, what it gets down to is that like logic is a tool that we use, right? Yeah. So it's a tool that we can use to express ourselves. We can use it to influence. We can use it to... We can use it to influence. We can use it to tell stories. Yeah. It, it, it totally it makes sense to me. Yeah. And I think like part of it is like I'm always looking at human nature and how people are, you know, responding to different inputs in their lives. Mm-hmm. And... You know, oftentimes we're responding on really visceral levels to maybe inputs that we don't haven't totally like figured out or isolated yet. You know, like, you know, the itchy tag on my shirt is making me be a real jerk all day long. You know, that's an example of one kind of input. But if I'm like able to use the tool to logically think through and go like, oh, and maybe take a moment and be mindful and say, oh, what is it that's bothering me? Oh, it's just this stupid tag. Well, I can take care of that and then right. have a better time. You're taking action too, right? Taking, and taking action, and taking yeah. Action. Yeah, logic Logic is a tool that helps you figure out, oh, where is the spot that I should take action? Yeah. And you can th- think about what is the consequence of that action going to be? And Sometimes predictable, other times not predictable. Sometimes not, yeah. Sometimes not, and there's always unexpected consequences. But you learn. But you learn. Yeah. If you're, you know, willing to take it on and do it, you're willing to do the work of thinking things through and like, oh, 
you know, how's this work? Then, then you can really make things work better for yourself. Exactly. So I don't think that that is actually counter to like human emotion or expression. I think it's just another tool that you have in your toolbox that you can use in a number of ways, but to express yourself as one of them. It's definitely a tool that requires some learning. It's also a tool that's misused commonly, as we explained with all the fallacies. Oh, yeah, it is. That sounds like a YouTube series in the making is Logical Fallacy Theater. Logical Fallacy Theater. What do you think? We're making YouTubes now? Either you can explain it or you can act it out so like here's the logical fallacy yeah and heck you can create your own logical fallacies if you want to put them in wikipedia for crying out loud oh like julius pringles you create (laughs) the logical fallacy of the vulcan hello yeah (laughs) now that's a deep cut deep cut i think we can close the book on logic at least temporarily all right yeah, I'm unless you want to uh definitely logic out. Yeah. Kind of makes the brain work. Logic is good. Use it. Critical thinking skills. Do stuff that makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. Like you can assess a situation for I you know, let's not get into analysis paralysis. Yeah, no analysis paralysis. No, but logic is is useful. But just just don't join a cult. Just don't <laughs> Well, I mean, maybe... Don't join a cult. Maybe if you want friends. I mean, I don't know. I want friends. Yeah. Did I tell you about that game, Cult of the Lamb? It's a game where you start your own cult. (laughs) And that's part of the game. It's part... You know, like how I was talking about Dave the Diver. Well, it's this is a game where you... Oh, remember I talked about Cuisineer, right? On the previous show. You're right, right. And you you basically go out to get your... (laughs) You you hit people. you, You kill animals and get all sorts of things for ingredients to bring back to your restaurant. It's in cult of the lamb. You go through these different maze things and beat enemies. And then you go back to your cult and you sacrifice people or tell people they have to eat poop or whatever. It's that's, (laughs) that's the game is cult of the lamb. Look it up. It's really, it's a lot of fun. I had a lot of, a lot more fun with it than I thought I was going to, but by playing that game, you learn how not to accidentally end up in a cult. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. The warning signs. When someone asks you to eat poop, leave, leave. get out of there. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Andrew, for joining us on this week's episode involving logic. Of course. It's a, a, always a fun time. Yeah. Likewise. I like hearing you eat Pringles. So. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that should, that should be, that's the blurb. Yeah. The response should be, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) My response. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to like to take that. I'm going to just cut that little. I like hearing you eat Pringles and that's, I'm going to make a TikTok. All right. All right. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Am I? I don't know. (laughs) Thank you, audience, for joining us on this week's episode of the Two Vague Podcast. My name is Ben. My name is Andrew. And we've been your hosts. Have a wonderful night. That's right. Yeah. Or or morning. True or false. Yeah. Any time of day. True or false. Whatever time of day you listen to your podcast. Yes. Bye. (laughs) All right. Bye. (laughs)